Unfortunately, all my uncles are alive. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I have lost a couple cousins, and that was freaky because you're like, holy cow. Like, and it's even freakier now because of how realizing even more so how young they were in those moments. Yes. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine like they're not even, they haven't even lived their best lives, you know? Right. Like, can you imagine if your life ended before you were 20? Yeah. That's kind of what <laughs> little secret about me. What got me through high school was <laughs> it was like, you, after you get out of this small town, you can live any life you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you have to live at least long enough to get to that point. And that's why I also did the crisis lines just to like get that message out that there's so much more in the world. You're not stuck. Wherever you are, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can get better. And, and it I, will. I gotta say, yeah. I mean, it takes, it probably takes some work and a lot of work on yourself. But I mean, because I think even if it's, if your life is miserable from trauma, I think you still have to take care of yourself through that trauma. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's really, I mean, it's mostly for those young people who just can't see past the next day. And I don't blame them. I mean, well, sure, but like the crap they tell kids, like this is going yes, to affect the rest yes. of your life constantly it's about everything from like chewing gum in class right. to like, you know, going to college, like everything is but you, you need to tell that to some kids and you need to tell other kids that this doesn't matter at all like and you need to tell that to the kids who are sticking their hand their fingers in the socket yes yes <laughs> also i was the kid in science class who stuck a gum wrapper in an electrical oh my socket god you idiot <laughs> jesus christ Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I'm Bridget, here with the witchiest witch, Molly. Hey. And as you know or should know, we are doing the month of witches. We're having a witch off. Um, uh, note to us right now. Do we want something to play before the episode? I mean, can, should we talk about it right now? Yeah, right? Okay. I'm really glad for all the people who are responding to our poll right now because it looks like I did a good job and I'm really happy about it. So thank you for on, responding. On Twitter. Okay, relax. The Instagrammers, 
you know who you are. You got my back. Sure, sure. But I appreciate those who have responded on Twitter. Yeah, you have gotten a lot of accolades. Um, I mean, the closest thing I got was Brad saying that uh, mine would be fun at a party, which, you know what? Maybe that's really what the competition is. The competitions, whatever you make competition, whether if it's witches battling each other or witches you just want to hang out with. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's my sad attempt to promote myself. Anyways, um, but from that, on our social media, you're voting. And if you like it and retweet it, um, that's just so that we can get your handle because you vote on Twitter. We don't know how you vote or who's voting. It's anonymous. What I'm saying. So anyways, that's um, how we will send you candy is through oh. your handles. Yes. But also even you don't even have to vote in that. Just retweeting also gets you an entry into the the whole contest. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, because contest is, we are going to pull handles. I think one from Instagram, one from Twitter, and one from our Patreon. So if you're in our Patreon and you're following us on both platforms, hey, you have a very good chance. Um, but... We're going to pull three names at the end of the month and we'll send candy to those three people. And so, oh, yep. Oh, no, you go ahead. No, you should go because oh, you're please. actually heading this episode. Okay. I was just going to say, so with that in mind, uh, the whole theme of the month is witches. And today I pulled a witch that was known as the voodoo queen of New Orleans. Okay. Is that how you say it? Yes. And then for those who don't know what the hell I'm saying, New Orleans. <laughs> um, but that would be Marie Laveau. Do you know anything about Marie Laveau? Okay. I did take one trip to New Orleans uh, post-college. Um, and I'm sure that I read about it when I was there, but I don't have any like deep knowledge or anything oh that's great i didn't realize you'd been to knowledge and so (laughs) you'll be a great resource this episode maybe with some of the places we're talking about excellent um most people are familiar with marie because she was on the american horror story anthology um the coven season so I think a lot of people are familiar with her that way. You know exactly who I am and what I'm capable of. Just like I know exactly what you are. And before we get into exactly who she was, I thought we should kind of go over some voodoo information because we're going to be talking about voodoo a lot. And it's since this is a deep dive on Marie, I didn't want to like keep referring to voodoo and no one knows what I'm talking about, but also think voodoo could be its own episode. Excellent plan. Yes. So let's talk voodoo. Voodoo. Did you know voodoo can be spelled V-O-U-D-O-U? No, I had no idea. So that's another spelling. The most common way we see it is V-O-O-D-O-O. And I think with those U's, it's because of its one of its influences because it's considered to be the only 
Afro-Catholic religion to emerge in North America, which I guess that's that makes sense. It's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> it's considered to be not only an influence of African nations that were at the root of the religion, but also from New World colonies that had brought in African slaves it also has so it has elements of being French and Spanish Catholicism and even some Native American spiritual practices are thrown in there. Oh, as well as some Masonic traditions. Before you go too much further, it seemed like when I was in New Orleans, one of the main things that they tout a lot is their connection with the French. So it is kind of surprising that there is the Spanish influence as well, though, I mean, they were obviously a big participator in colonialism, so it's not surprising. It's just yeah. a little well, surprising yeah. with that. I think it's because you did, like, the Spanish came over pretty early and started setting up missionaries. Right. Um. So I think you get some of that. Plus, they were heavily involved like you said, in colonialism, which means they're heavily involved in trade and in sailing. So you're going to have some overlap in these trades with the French and the Spanish. Okay. Um, and it, especially in that southern part of the United States versus maybe some of the northern parts of the East Coast. Yeah. While voodoo was commonly practiced in New Orleans, it was actually banned at different times within history. By so that, white people? Yeah, you know, honestly, most of the bad stuff, this is, I think, this is obvious, and we should probably state it. I'm not going to go into too much about uh, voodoo being a dark religion. It definitely has that reputation. You know, you have, like, zombies and all this stuff. But the thing is, I, I really think it's heavily tied to racism yeah so like i think it definitely has its own mystical element because you do have a lot of these sort of um it's like a religious stir pot so the mysticism part is a fascinating part the stuff that gets weird is like and i don't know I don't think it's not not true, but I think the point of view of the rituals gets painted in this very like dark arts light because it's racism. It's like we don't like these people because of their skin color and where we think they belong on the hierarchy of society. So this is the religion they practice. So this religion is bad. Mm -hmm. Like I don't. And because you hear about these rituals where it's like they're cutting off the heads of chickens and blah, 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 and holding snakes up and dancing with snakes. But there's some aspects of Christianity that does that. And mm -hmm. especially like when you go into like the Baptist history, I think there's like some like extreme religious things. And I so I think it's just, you know, who is doing the practices is going to society is going to decide whether or not they're good or evil based on something superficial. Yeah. Okay. So some other elements to this mysticism, right, is that 
voodoo is like this unseen world that's populated by the Loa, which are spirits, the Miste, which is mysteries, the Envizibi, the invisibles, the Zanj, the angels, and the spirits of the ancestors and recently deceased. And I apologize for my pronunciation on all those words. All these spirits are believed to live in a mythic land called Jinin, which was a cosmic Africa. The God of the Christian Bible is understood to be the creator of both the universe and the spirits, and the spirits were made by God to help him govern humanity and the natural world. So Uh, that is your voodoo short form. Sure, sure. Yeah, we. I would love to do a episode about voodoo. So let us do that. Yeah, I just bought Florida water. Wait, what? What? There's this. There's this stuff you can get, and it has its own history. So I won't go too much into it, but it's called Florida water, and it's actually a cologne that's recipe goes back to like the early 1800s, and this. Cologne is supposed to have mystical elements because of the herbs and plants they use to make it. And now you can buy it like super cheap at a drugstore. And I bought it for fun. And honestly, um, I did have like a string of like good luck where I was like, I wonder if this is the Florida water (laughs) working. (laughs) Okay. well, as long as it's not water you drink, I'm fine with it. No, yeah, don't drink it. It's thought that part of the reason people are super fascinated by voodoo is because not a lot of outsiders are really brought into this religion. Like everything that this religion teaches, it comes from an oral tradition. Generally, they don't, traditionally, not a lot's written down. And so the whole how we do our rituals is just something that's just been passed from person to person. And the other sort of thought or threat of this religion is like, it doesn't have a core group of people running it. Like it's more like anyone can pick it up as long as they've been taught, I guess the basics and some of the rituals, but there isn't like, a papal society or something yeah yeah it definitely reminds me that that's the two ways to make people interested in something you either go evangelical about it spread the word or make it secretive so people are interested yeah i whisper so people lean in yeah okay and then another interesting aspect about voodoo that I wanted to bring up was part of its origin story, I guess, is that you had Haiti and Brazil and Louisiana and Cuba. They're all part of this slave trade route. And so you have all these slaves going into all these different places and they're picking up Catholicism and they're, they're picking up they're, and they're also bringing their own traditions. And then the revolution happens in 1791. And that sent a lot of the Haitians to, is that right? Haitians? 
Yeah, that's the word. Yes, yes. Okay. It's just sometimes you can say Hades wrong. No, and I don't, no, Haitians. Yeah. But the people of Haiti. But I don't remember. I can't remember how people say it incorrectly. You know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> um, but I thought for a second maybe I was doing that. Okay. Anyways, because of the Haitian Revolution, this changed the dynamics of New Orleans because then they had a lot of refugees coming there. And you had a lot of white people trying to protect themselves. So it's like a very heightened time of history with a lot of information just being passed around by this group you consider the other. And another part of voodoo is that they make these grease grease, which or maybe it's gris gris. Uh, the S is silent in French. Um, in New, or- New Orleans, which is these bags of herbs or magical substances. It can have like body hair, it can have flower petals. It could be a mix. I mean, these are considered usually for protection. Um, I bring that up because it's going to come up later. And just pulling, I don't, I know nothing about voodoo, but this certainly sounds like a voodoo doll precursor. Oh, or they could even have the dolls at the time. I honestly, we should do a voodoo doll deep dive because I wouldn't be surprised if the doll is actually a type of grease grease. Yes, right. And so it might seem weird, but like if you think about it, the Catholic religion has incense, it has statues, it has candles, it has pendants. So it's not very wild that enslaved people are seeing that iconography and then applying it to how it fits them. Yep. And the religions that they brought with them and trying to conform to, you know, survive being an object of capitalism. Now let's get into Marie. So Marie was born in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and it's sometime between September 10th, 1794, and the year 1801. Oh, wow. That's quite a range. Depending on who's telling the story, it seems like everything we know about her is also mixed with myth, and she's born during a time where not as much is recorded as now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conflicting stories about her whole life. Her mother, Marguerite D'Arcantrell, was a freed slave, and she actually was the mistress of Marie's father. His name was Charles Laveau, and he was a wealthy mixed-race businessman. So there's kind of conflicting stories about how she was raised. So one thought is that or thing that's told is that Marguerite gave birth to Marie at her mother's home, whose name was Catherine. And then she left her daughter with her mother and went back to her relationship with this businessman. But then there's another story out there that Marie grew up on her father's plantation where she became educated and studied to be a hairdresser. Either way, the thought is she did grow up to eventually become a hairdresser. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. And she was also the first one born free in her family. And I, yeah, that's great. And I think that must be uh, free in her family on her mother's side. Yes, right. 
It said that her great grandmother came to New Orleans as a slave from West Africa in the mid 1700s. Her grandmother, Catherine, was purchased by a free woman of color. Um, and then Catherine was able to eventually buy her own freedom. And she bought a home in the French Quarter. That's amazing. Yeah. So incredible story right there. Now, on August 4th, 1819, Mary Laveau marries Jacques Paris, who he's a free person of color from Haiti. And they marry at the St. Louis Cathedral. Marie was described as tall, beautiful, statuesque, with curly black hair, golden skin, and good features. The good features, um, I guess, when I pulled this quote, it was noted that the good features that's written about her would have been that referring to passing more as white than of a person of color. Of course. Which, yeah, absolute trash. Um, another description I found from Louisiana-anthology.org, Marie was a sti- striking figure and dressed like a gypsy with a bandana on her head, flashy rings on her finger and ear, and gold bracelets on her wrist. Her dress was always a dark color, long and full, hanging gracefully from her shoulders. Her eyes, which were large and hazel, sparked like emeralds against her dark skin. It was widely agreed she was exceptionally beautiful. I don't know where these quotes actually come from, but I think there's just so much lore about her that's Mm -hmm. like people talked about how hot she was during Mm -hmm. her time. So her father and her mother never married. I think at one point people thought it was because... I think for a long time, people said that the dad was white. And so then people thought they never got married because of the laws at the time. And then when it came out, he might have been actually of mixed race. So who knows? They just never married. But he he stood at her wedding and signed the marriage contract on her behalf. Wow. Um, he was there for that. And he gave her a wedding gift that was property that he owned on Love Street. Or no, now it's North rampart i don't know you know north rampart no but that just leads me to believe more that she did at least grow up for some part of her early childhood on that plantation with the father in some regard you know what i mean yeah i mean there's definitely some sort of relationship yes it he wouldn't have just showed up out of the blue yeah yeah especially yeah given everyone's status at the time so there's no records that she actually ever lived there. Wait, lived where? On that property that was gifted to her. Oh, okay, sure. But documents show by 1822, Marie and Jacques were living on Dauphine Street between Dumas. I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying these in a French accent or how Americans say stuff. From my experience, it is the French way. Okay, that's what I would guess. Because Narlins, they got a whole other thing happening there. Um, And St. Philippe. So they were living on Dauphine Street between Domain and St. Philippe. The city directory lists Jacques as a cabinet maker. Uh, Most researchers say that Marie and Jacques did not have any children, but 
there were baptismal records from St. Uh, Louis Cathedral that shows entries for two daughters, Marie Angeli Perry, baptized in 1823. And did they, so would they say Perry then instead of Paris? I. I should have Googled this. Sorry. I, think, I would guess yes, but. Okay, well, let's call him sure. Perry. And then if I'm wrong, you're from New Orleans, hit me up. Okay. So there was Marie and then there was Felicity Perry. And she was baptized in 1824, both listed as daughters of Marie Laveau and Jacques Perry. So that they're twins? No, one was a, Irish twins. 1823, okay. 1824. Okay. Felicity's records state that she was seven years old at the time of her baptism, which would mean she was born in 1817, two years before Marie and Jacques' marriage. Unfortunately, records on Marie Angeli and Felicity stopped there. So we don't know what happened to him after this. Now, I have to say, this has to be a very common occurrence, right? Like, you're yeah, not going to. I don't think there's anything weird right, about it. You're, you're not going to go to the hospital for your birth. The only thing that's going to happen to you is a, a marriage in a church. And if they had a marriage outside of that, there's no other reason that they would ever use that name, right? Yeah. The only weird thing, and we'll talk more about it in a bit, is that Marie, despite the notoriety she had in her life, she didn't record anything down. And even though one of those theories says that they thought she was educated, I also read somewhere else that she probably didn't know how to read or write. But I, I also kind of doubt that because she had like some schemes and scams going on. But mm. maybe you could get away with not being able to read or write at this time because of class issues. I don't know. But my thoughts right now are that because the oral tradition is like the most important thing, that it doesn't even really cross your mind to write it down. That would be my guess. Yeah, like it's not the instinct. Whereas yes. like now you're taught to write so much crap mm -hmm. that sometimes you write benign stuff down because you're just like, I don't know, I feel like this might be significant. And oh. then you look back on your life and you look at your notebooks and you're like, wow, this is a bunch of shit. And then I sad. should probably join a support group. <laughs> um, So... The daughters disappear, and then there's also the husband disappears. There's no documentation of his death, but through one of the baptismal records, Felicity's, he is declared dead or to be deceased, like not present at the baptism because he died. Well, he went missing around 1824. Marie, she insisted that he was definitely dead and that people should just start calling her the widow Perry. Cause that's what you did when someone died, you're married to, you'd just be like, now like, so you would be widow Morris. Sure. And you'd be like, that's normal. That's a cool uh, name. What was the most recent thing about the, what was that TV show that I watched where the tiger eats the man? Oh, Marf like means death. Oh yeah. Yeah. She started calling herself the widow, whatever his freaking name was. Yeah. 
A widow's life isn't nearly as bad as it's made out to be. The children have adjusted to the loss of their father far better than expected. And I find myself growing in ways I never before thought possible. But perhaps widowdom's most unexpected gift has been community. So, okay, so that's the story. It's like, oh, maybe he died, maybe disappeared. But in 2021, NOLA.com published an article saying that an LSU student thinks she found the missing husband, that she started searching um, and records surrounding New Orleans for the name Jacques Perry, but he also, I guess, through her research, found he had an alias name of Santiago Perry and found an obit or maybe a death certificate of a man who was a cabinet maker who went by the name Santiago, but like S-T period, Iago. So it would be like another form of Santiago. So she's like, I think he just went to the next town over and lived his life there. I would be, this really reminds me that like, there's so much that we could lose at this moment in history. Like we need to get those records digitized now, like yesterday. Yeah, but what's the, you think a hundred years from now, people are going to still be interested in this voodoo queen? It certainly is easier to research and to, as I've said before, like I think I said this on our most recent, one of our most recent episodes, I don't care for history, but I also believe that we can learn from history. And because we have these people who are interested in history, we shouldn't lose these records. Like they're important. Okay. All right. You convinced me. I'll I'll sign your change.org. Yeah, petition. change.org petitions. <laughs> Woo! So around 1826, Marie appears to have found love again with a man named Louis Christophe Dumensnel du Glapion. Glapion came from a prominent New Orleans family, a wealthy white gentleman that would spend the last 30 years in common law marriage with Laveau. Um, and so again, Wait, so, oh, no, I, uh, I just, why, why not get married? Well, in this case, it's speculated because of the laws. Okay. Okay. So we are at the point where, Black and white people cannot get married. Yeah, it's before Virginia versus love or yes, whatever that was. Loving versus Virginia. Oh, loving. That's right. I just remember love is in the name because that's like so weird, right? Right. And then it's then our uh, gosh, I, I, you know, someone sometimes I miss Virginia, but the the (laughs) Virginia is for lovers. Yeah, I love that. It's widely believed that the couple had 15 children, but there's only documentation of seven. That's insane. 15? I mean, back then, that's probably normal. (sighs) That's too many children. By the fifth one, they're just walking out. 
Oh boy. I think that's from a movie. I feel so bad for women back then. Like Oh no. yeah. Pre birth control. You Ugh. did not have a chance. No, you didn't. Ugh. And then also the fact that like half of those children are definitely gonna die. Oh yeah. And you're gonna watch. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that generational trauma. Um <laughs> Around 1831, her grandmother passes away. So a creditor surfaces and claims that Catherine had owed money on her house. And the house was put up for auction. And I, I saw Glapian purchases the childhood home. I also think I saw somewhere else that a friend did. So she ends up staying in the home, but she's renting it from somebody. And she's there until the end of uh, everybody's lives. Glapian, he dies in June of 1855. So they were together for almost 30 years. Is there any, like, idea about what kind of houses these were? Like, were these just, like, shacks or were these the grand houses that they talk about in New Orleans. You know what I mean? Like, the- oh, well, they keep calling it a cottage, a cottage. So I just assumed that was smaller, but you know, I'm going to look it up just real quick, just to but see that's if a good there's, question. yeah, because we stayed in like a old timey home in New Orleans. Like that's one of their like claims of fame or whatever, like a very, I think no, but I think you're right. I think by cottage, they mean a smaller home. And it's not a, well, well, okay, okay. So this is, this <laughs> actually makes a lot of sense to me. So uh, there's a cottage and it's like a, it's very small, but, oh, here, I'll sh- share it with Bridget so she can comment. Like the idea that it would be like a, like it, looks very fancy with all the embellishments but it's also still very small oh yeah so i i kind of assume it's yeah similar. yeah i feel like it's one of the houses all look the same but they're small they're like city houses yes yes i think you're right they love their columns in new orleans well i guess it's the porch thing because they want porches so they have to have yeah isn't that some french shit I don't know, but I think it so also called has- like verandas, right? Yeah, but it also has to do with like the weather, like because you always want to, if it's hot, like you go outside, but you want to be comfortable. So. Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to go there and drink sweet tea on the veranda. Okay, so let's get into Levo and the power of her voodoo. Yes. So she was known as being a hairdresser to wealthy white women, which is probably the best way to learn dark secrets and fears about people. Plus, I think her being a person of color, she also had access to like their servants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're running like a voodoo uh, business, you you probably want access to both the gossipy rich people and the people who work for him. Definitely. She was a generous woman of devout Catholic faith and 
was known to use her means and magic to help those in need. She attended mass uh, pretty regularly. She had images of the saints in her home. She made she created a space that was protected and safe for all that visited or lived with her. She was known for going to prisoners that were locked up inside the. Oh, this is probably something you saw there. The Cabildo, which I guess was a city government building at her time, but it's now a museum. Wow. It would have been a place where they would have had a jail, I guess. Sure. She was known to offer guidance to redemption and forgiveness through Jesus. She performed notable acts of community service, including, I mean, aside from the prisoner thing, she was known for being a nurse to yellow fever patients, posting bail for free for women of color. Um, I read somewhere, allegedly she paid for the education of some orphan. Like she had this reputation of being a literal saint. And I think people have actually tried to get her canonized. Yeah, I'm not surprised because it does sound like like she obviously had a pretty, she was better off than a lot of other people. She was privileged. There you go. Yeah, she was born of a pretty good class within that time and for being a person of color, like. But she's seeing other people not have those privileges. So it Mm. would be very, very stark to her. Why me? Why not everyone else? Yeah. Or I have a duty now. Yes. Yes. To help those people. And um, especially like the whole idea of the colored, the free color, the free color. Wait, sorry. I want to say this correctly. Her grandmother bought her own freedom. Yes, because, but only because she was purchased by a free woman of color. So I would imagine it allegedly well allegedly but i mean i think that's true but yes i say allegedly because like i did so much research on this that every source had its own telling of the story Uh, and there were every source was like the research on this is actually really hard because it's just more lore than it is like written down but i do find that that kind of story is very compelling because it's like as a person of color, I see this very unfair situation you're in. So what is a good way to get that out? You pretend to buy into the slave trade, purchase a slave, and then allow them to be free. So Yeah. Yeah, you have generations of women surviving in this world and paying it forward, I guess. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's, yeah, that's definitely what I was thinking. So it's kind of like, well, how did she become this voodoo queen? And so one of the theories is that she did learn it from her family. But there's a theory that she trained under the guidance of Sanite Dede and Marie Slope. There's also another theory that she trained with the famous Dr. John, or also known as John Bayou. And I don't really have any information on who that is because I was like, that's a future episode. 
So I'm not going down that rabbit hole now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So there could be elements of truth in all of these theories. But by 1830, it was clear that she was definitely thought of as one of the voodoo queens. And she very much was very apparent about combining the voodoo beliefs and these Catholic traditions even more so. She's using holy water, incense, statues, Christian prayers. And all of this is to help make the voodoo and the hoodoo. So the hoodoo is the actual magical rituals associated with voodoo. She's doing this to also make it more acceptable to these upper class um, New Orleans society that she's working with. I think that helps like her white clients feel safer, you know, like, well, she's talking about Jesus a lot. So how bad can it be? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. She's also doing stuff with with snakes. She's dancing. She's using music. So she's got a, a good thing going on. She also ran operations at Maison Blanche, which is no, that translates to the White House, that was built for secret voodoo meetings and liaisons between white men and black women. Well, that's a little sketchy. And there's not a lot of um, uh, hard facts with that one. It's just like, oh, yeah, and she might have been involved in this. She acted as an oracle, which is a person who predicts the future. She conducted private rituals behind her cottage on St. Anne Street. She performed exorcisms, and she offered sacrifices to spirits. It's said that local politicians and lawmakers would go to her to seek consultation for business decisions. There was like rumors or jokes that businessmen from other cities would actually try to have some sort of correlation with her before they would start business in New Orleans because um, she would let them know if things were even going to be able to ship there because that's how in touch she was with forces. She would regularly attend these gatherings in Congo Square on Sundays, and that's where she would sell her grease grease bags offer advice, um, also community service and partake in celebrations that would go on there. Because I guess the Congo Square was like a known community spot for people. Um, did you happen to go there while you were in? Well, let me take a look. I definitely, um, it kind of looks like I did. I definitely remember, but I can't tell if that's, I, I definitely went to a, like a, statue outdoor museum typey place which kind of looks similar but it wasn't saint augustine's church was it Mm, i'm not sure well the square like i said it was a community spot it was also a place for like new orleans slaves and people of color could go there on sundays and holidays to celebrate the main holiday being St. John's Eve, which is basically the eve of the feast of St. John the Baptist. And that, that happens to fall on the summer solstice. Oh. You would go there, you do ritual bathing, 
and commune and bonfires. And then racists would like write up that they're having orgies. Oh, no. It's like maybe, I don't know, even if they were having orgies, they wouldn't matter. It only matters because it's people of color. And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like, white people would be doing that, but they're doing it behind closed doors at the Maison Blanche. Yes, yes. That's what I was exactly thinking. It is a very much like puritanical kind of thing where this these activities would be happening no matter who you are, but because you have the privilege to do them behind closed doors and for some reason it's more acceptable. Right? Just your classic racism. What's kind of weird is that during Marie's lifetime, a Marie too shows up. And this Marie too, or Marie the second, actually, I keep saying two in my head because everywhere it's written with the Roman numeral two. Uh, but I guess she would have actually been known as Marie the second. And she's showing up to all these places that Marie the first is showing up at. And she's wearing like, you know, a bright, which is a head covering like a turban and you would have worn that at the time to signal some sort of status and identity she's wearing gold jewelry she has a very specific walk to announce to everyone that she's in the room this marie the second might have been born february 2nd of 1827 or born sometime in 1836 we don't know uh we do know that there there is a tale of a shady switch between Marie Laveau and this Marie II, who they think it's one of her daughters who are also named Marie. See, Marie is growing older, and since her daughter has such a similar likeness to her, they would lead the community to believe that Marie Laveau wasn't aging. And her daughter would wear her mother's clothes and carry on the voodoo stuff. That's super clever. So it looks like Marie's powers are so strong. She could stay young forever. That's amazing. Right. But then the Marie, the second kind of ends up having like a more wicked reputation to her mother and isn't quite as successful as her mother. And it seems to be that the thought is because she really wasn't like, as friendly and as charitable as her mother. So that's why she kind of gets that reputation. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Just because you're the child of your mother doesn't mean you're anything like them. Right. It's either her daughter who is named Marie Philemon or Marie Louise, but they don't know. And then there's also theories that it could be one of her granddaughters. And there's also theories that, this Marie the second wasn't even of any relation. She just happened to look like Marie. No one knows because there's no record of someone on record as Marie the second. At the, yeah, at this point, you could, they don't have pictures of her. And depending on the time of day or whatever, you could totally fake that if you really wanted to. Yeah. And everybody's racist at this time. So. You could at least fool a lot of white people, is what I'm saying. Yes, but also, just to be fair, that's also a scientifically more difficult to tell people apart from people of don't not, you know, don't defend us white people. I, I know I'm I'm not saying 
but I, I think it's important to recognize those things so we work to defeat them. As okay, to- okay, Ben Shapiro. Um, <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm joking, like, I'm joking. You know what I mean? Like, you have to allow for the fact that that is something that people see and well, and find this is a, a way around it, you know what This I mean? is a person who's going to be known more for their reputation than necessarily known for having their physical, their physicality being replicated. Yes. In a print it's, image or something. It, besides the whole, um, I guess, the way she dresses and like the jewelry and stuff, which does seem like something that people would point to and be like, oh, that's the same woman because she's wearing the same outfits. And yeah, I said hi to this guy yesterday without a mask on. And he was like, who the hell are you? And this was a guy that like the week before I had a 20 minute conversation with. And at first I was like, damn, you fucking loser. And then I was like, oh, I had a mask on before. Yes. I have had that. So I think all of us have throughout this pandemic. And that is one of the reasons why I like to wear a mask so I can be more anonymous. But, you know. So Molly's, if you see Molly out in her mask, leave her alone. She's trying not to be recognized. (laughs) But also, like, I do find that, like, because, you know, me going to, like, GeeklyCon and then seeing people in a mask, it's like, oh, I definitely am not going to recognize you because we haven't seen each other in two years and you're wearing masks. And it's like, oh, Jesus. (laughs) I see the. You have to go with flashcards of people's eyes. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so about 1875, Marie Laveau gave her last performance and she announces that she's going to retire. Okay, so she's pretty old at this point. Like, even if we go for her older birthday, you mean her younger birthday? No, well, yeah, but no, she it was 1801 was the the later one, yeah, later. There we go, she's still quite old, yeah. Yeah, she's 74. It's a long time to live. So even with this trick performance, it's like, damn, you're doing something right. Yeah. You're holding on. So even though she's retired, she's still visiting people. She's still giving readings in her home. And then on June 15th, 1881, she dies peacefully in her cottage on Ann Street, just shy of her 80th birthday. Oof. Allegedly, if we're going off the yeah, 1801 right. uh, birthday, which I think, I don't know, people probably even turn to that more now because of no way could she live beyond 80 at this time. Yeah, that's pretty insane. They say that her tomb is the most visited tomb in all of New Orleans and in the United States, like allegedly... I know there's some something between her and Elvis, like some places oh, I saw yeah. she beat out Elvis and another place I saw she's second to Elvis. That makes sense. So her and Elvis, they're getting all the people. Although now I suppose that wouldn't even be true because they stopped letting people visit her tomb mm. because there was so much graffiti. People were doing graffiti and they were leaving a bunch of shit there because... 
and that's what you do in most rituals is leave offerings and the graffiti a lot of it was drawing x's on her tomb and you you're supposed to like draw an x and then turn around three times and then shout out your wish and then if your wish comes true you put a circle around the x or something i don't know it's a whole thing but they shut that down and they did some restoration and now you can only go to the tomb if you go with like a registered tour guide yeah we experienced that we walked around not around but like you know well like literally around some cemeteries and it was just like completely blocked off you cannot wander around there at all you have to book the tour interesting yeah it is not an open area at all yeah i think that's fascinating because I know. I was just thinking about how we just went to Europe and like some of it's completely blocked off like in Rome. And then some of it, even though they restored it, you could just completely interact with it. Um, kind of makes you wonder, like, is this someone making money or is this really about preservation? Yeah, yeah. It, it did feel like a money making operation to us just because it was like, no, you have to buy these tickets. But, but also... I mean, I'm sure things got out of control. Yeah. Like, no, I, I also you know believe I mean? that as well, for sure. So, and people claim to see her ghost by where the cottage would have been on St. Anne. It doesn't exist anymore. It was demolished in 1907. People claim to see her ghost by the tomb. But then there's an argument about whether she was buried in the St. Louis number one cemetery or the St. Louis number two cemetery. Um, but I think the one that people visit the most, that's like definitely blocked off is in St. Louis number one. And then recently in May of 2022, a portrait of a Creole woman commonly believed to be Marie Laveau. It's not her, but it's always the picture you see when you Google her. Oh, interesting. It just sold at auction for $984,000. So- they know the person who bought this knows it's not her, but it's still like a classic enough painting that it's worthwhile or whatever. Yeah. And then and then that just shows you the power that she has being dead after so many years. I mean, I knew of her from American Horror Story, but would have known otherwise. Like that's I don't know, it's kind of incredible that she has so much staying power. The New York Times called her one of the most wonderful women who ever lived when she died. I mean, they also said some other, I think, sort of racist-leaning stuff in her <laughs> obit, but that that's still very generous. Yeah. She did a lot. She was, I mean, at the very least, you could say she was a healer and a philanthropist. Yeah. Which, that's my goal, is to get that philanthropist title. <laughs> I'm always telling Mike, I should just start be- Going into the philanthropy, and he's always like, "Yeah, with whose money?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's my my story on Marie Laveau. That's an excellent story. I would love to go back to New Orleans with you. I think it'd be really fun. Oh, that's good because I am definitely considering in the next year having a girls' trip to New Orleans. Be cool. So was I, I was you're planning. In. I was planning on going before the pandemic, actually, but 
Oh yeah. I wanted to do it before the pandemic too. And then all through the pandemic when Mike's been like, where do you want to go? I've been like new Orleans. And he's like, that's not exciting. And then because we went to Europe this year, my next year trip, I'm like, it has to be new Orleans. I have to do it. Sure. Sure. But it is not as exciting anymore. It just isn't, you know? Oh, we'll make it exciting. Oh yes. Yes. I'll do some research too and make sure we go to the the real shit. We're going to do some real shit. It looks boring. Sure. On the outside, but you know, the creepy shit's still there. It's still lurking. Yeah. Underneath those verandas. Right. They just, you know, they've cleaned up a lot of things. Yeah. And such. Well, thank you for doing the research. Thank you for listening. Yeah. And hopefully the rest of our month are works out pretty well. I'm excited to see who you pick. Yeah, I'm I am too. (laughs) (laughs) Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bridget underscore suck it. How about you, Molly? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MollyMM9. And you can find our podcast at sexwithghost underscore on both platforms where we have open voting for our witches, witch off, and uh, continue to vote and retweet. And is there reblogging on Instagram? I don't even know. Oh, I don't think so. Probably not. No. Um, or checking but, out our. But we get it because we can see who votes on Instagram. So, yes, so share it with friends if you have friends you want to enter in or if they listen to the podcast and are lazy and will only look at things on Instagram if you send it to them I'm definitely not talking about myself at all here you can also get an extra entry by following our patreon at patreon.com slash sex with ghosts you know we will check out our reviews on iTunes if you leave us a review we can yeah we'll read it on air yeah so please do that as well write us something funny you can you can even say we're terrible people just give us the five-star review baby anything else i think that's it all right see you next bye bye they do Exactly who I am and what I'm capable of. Just like I know exactly what you are. Witch. I can smell the stink of it on you.